from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. This morning, John chapter 4. We'll be down in John 43 in just a moment, moving on from the woman at the well and that story. And I hope uh, hope you learned uh, much from that story. And there was, honestly, there are many more sermons that could have been written from that story. Just a fascinatingly deep, deep story. But we're moving on this morning to finish up John chapter 4. And as you know, in just about a month, uh, all of Winston-Salem will come together to celebrate my birthday when the fair comes to town. I I just always has been so nice of the city uh, to bring the fair to town to celebrate me. I enjoy it so, so much. And as you know, when you go to the fair, there's food, There's rods, and then there's always those really strange exhibits. That world's smallest horse has to be pushing 40 or 50 years old by now. I I mean, I just, I I don't know how old that, that, that smallest horse is, right? But you know what I'm talking about. They, they have those. Come see the, the, the world's smallest horse or, or come see this. And we think back to maybe circuses from, years and years ago where it was about coming to see what they determined or, or classified as oddities, right? Come see the world's tallest man. Come see the world's shortest woman. Come see uh, uh, the hairiest person. You remember all those, those oddities. People were coming together or coming just to be entertained. That, that, that's all it was. They just wanted a, a rush of entertainment. I remember several years ago, walking around the the midway at the fair. And I don't remember what it actually was that they were trying to get people to come and and pay to see, right? I don't, so I don't remember what it was, but it was this really big trailer. And what I remember was as you walk past the trailer, if you stood and looked at the sign, so, you know, it had the sign up above it, it had the lights and everything. And I think it was a white background with blue script, come and see. And I just remember as you stood and if you look at just, just the right angle and kind of tone on tone coloring, it, you could read the words. An amazingly real illusion. That, that just always, that just kind of got away with me, because people are so fascinated and people want to see something so miraculous that they're willing to suspend their disbelief, knowing that it can't possibly be real. But I'm going to pay anyway because I, I want to be entertained. I find it just really. Fascinating. Now I know what you're thinking. What in the world does John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54 have anything to do with circus oddities? And that's a good question. What we're going to see in these verses this morning is Jesus has been going around performing a lot of miracles. He's attracted crowds. People have come to see Him. But the question is going to be, are you like the people at the fair who just wants to see another miracle? Or are you seeking something else? 
And it's a good question for us to ask. The title of the message is, What Do You Seek? When you seek Jesus, what, what are you seeking? Well, John chapter 4, verse 43 through 54 helps draw that out of us this morning. So let's read what God's Word says. After the two days He departed for Galilee, for Jesus Himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when He came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed Him, having seen all that He had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So He came again to Cana in Galilee, where He had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went up to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his own way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he, came, when he had come from Judah to Galilee. This morning, as we work through this passage, it, just, it really breaks down into three parts. And the first part is Jesus' arrival. Right? Jesus' arrival. Quick review, right? He was in Samaria. He, he was speaking to the woman at the well. The woman at the well says, hey, look, come see this guy that I met. Could he be the Christ? She brings the whole town out to see him. And, and Jesus is, is there at the well. And they realize that he is the Christ. They say to Jesus, hey, come back to the village with us. Come teach us. And for two days, he spends time with the Samaritans, teaching them, preaching to them, repent for the kingdom of God. And for because of his testimony and because of his preaching, because of who he was, many of the Samaritans believed there was this revival in Samaria. And one day we will meet those believers in heaven. And then after that, it says they... They testified that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that's how that's, that, that story in Samaria ends, with that great testimony of who Jesus is. And so now He continues north. And He goes back to Galilee, arriving again, we're told, in the city of Cana, which John noticed the tie-in. Right? John reminds us, that this was where he says he made the water into wine. And we're told at the end of that story that that was his first sign, right? If you look down in verse 54, here we're told that this is his second sign. Now, we also know and have been told that he's performed many other signs. So this isn't technically his second sign, but John Notice the connection. John is connecting the stories and connecting this subunit from John chapter 2 to John chapter 4 for us. He wants us to see something that is happening. There's two signs, there's two stories, and two times Jesus is in Cana. 
And believe it or not, Cana plays an important role in understanding what John is trying to tell us. Because right, in verse 44, we're told this, this parenthetical statement. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So let's, by way of reminder, we looked at this map at the beginning of John chapter 4, so let's look at it again, just, just real quickly. In the time of Jesus, there was five regions in Israel, right? And you, you, can, you can see those on the back. The very northernmost was Galilee. And in Galilee, you have Nazareth and you have Cana, right? They play an important role. Capernaum is in there as well. Inhabited mostly by Jews, but with Gentiles. Okay? Far south, you have Judea. Uh, Judea. Bethlehem was there. Jerusalem is there. The temple is there. It is almost exclusively Jewish. Then on the other side of the river, you have the regions of Perea and the Decapolis, which are, uh, Perea is kind of both. Perea is mentioned in the Gospels where it talks about the region of the Transjordan. That's why it's talking about. The Decapolis is mentioned as well. Uh, you can just see from the word, it's Greek. It means ten cities. It was mostly Greek-speaking people. Very Hellenistic. But then in the middle, right? <laughs> Then in the middle, you've got Samaria, right? The, the half Jews, half not Jews. And, and we've discussed how people felt, how the Jews felt about Samaria. So let's look at it from a different point of view. Let's kind of ignore Perea and Decapolis for just a moment because they don't factor into the, the, the Gospels as much. So down in the bottom, what you have is Jews. What you have up in the very north, and we're going to do it southern-like, we got our Jewish cousins. All right? They're related to us, and we accept them, but we really just like to see them at family get-togethers. Right? But then in the... Y'all are y'all know exactly what I mean. Y'all just don't know. You, if you're not laughing, it's because you're the cousin. Um, <laughs> sorry. And then right in the middle, right in the middle, you had not Jews. So do you see what I'm saying? You have Jewish, our Jewish cousins. Then you have the people in the middle that we don't like. They say that they're Jews, but we don't claim them. We don't even want to see them at the family reunion. Right? His people, his people, and to borrow a phrase from Hosea, not His people. So Jesus now is going back to His hometown, right? He's always called Jesus of Nazareth. He's never called Jesus the Judean. So He's going back up into Galilee, into the Jewish area, where it would be His hometown, back to His people. And He's leaving the not-Jews of Samaria. All right, now hold that in your mind for just a minute. John then tells us, right, parenthetical statement, he's not welcome, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. And then he tells us in verse 43, sorry, 45, the Galileans welcomed him. That's an interesting contradiction. Right, I mean, right behind. 
You're not welcome in your hometown. A prophet is not welcome. The Galileans welcomed him. He's in Galilee. What in the world is going on? Well, the rest of 45 helps us understand. It says that many of the Galileans that welcomed him had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So obviously there were people in Galilee who had been at Jerusalem, seen all these signs that Jesus did. We don't know what they are, but he did signs, maybe healed somebody, maybe provided an extra meal out of, you know, just, you know, maybe somebody had three fish and seven loaves and he made a meal out of that. Signs were seen. So this group of Galileans saw Jesus in Jerusalem, knew that He could perform miracles. He comes to Galilee. He's there. They're welcoming Him. Why? Because they want to see another sign. They want to see another miracle. And this is why the location is important. John wants us to note the irony here. The signs that Jesus is performing is not convincing His people that He is the Messiah. The signs just tickled their fancy. And now they want more. It's like, seriously, it's like going to the fair and looking at the little horse and then going to look at the lizard woman and then going to look at the monkey boy and whatever really weird things they have lined up in the midway for you to see. Well, that's really cool. I bet that's better. Now I want to see this one. Now I want to see this one. Now I want to see that one. Jesus made him walk, healed a hand, told that person with leprosy, you don't have leprosy anymore. He provided food for a whole bunch of a crowd. He made this person come back to life. He did this. He did that. I want to see the next and 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 the next. I just want to see the next miracle. And we know this is true. John has already told us in John 1.11, Jesus came to His own people and His own people did not receive Him. So this grand welcome, He comes to Galilee and everybody is welcoming Him. It is not based on the glorious proclamation of the Samaritans that He is the Savior of the world. They welcome Him based on what He will do. What great miracle He will perform next. Can you top this sign? Can you top this sign? The signs for them are not generating belief. They're just satisfying their morbid curiosity about what this Jesus person can do. And so, while they welcome Him, they are actually rejecting who He actually is. They're not welcoming Him as the Savior of the world. They're welcoming Him as Jesus, the guy who can perform great signs and miracles and make us go, ooh and ah, will you perform another? So in the midst of that welcome, we're introduced to a nobleman who is in despair. Right, It says he came again to Galilee, Cana in Galilee. He's there. And then an official whose son was ill. Now the word there for official really means little king. He's not some mid-level bureaucrat. Okay, This is a man 
who has authority. If you're called a little king, you know what that means? It means you're in proximity to the big king. And in this particular case, it's probably Herod Antipas. And the Herod family is... The, the, you think you got a crazy family tree? Go look up Herod's family tree. The only thing you need to know is this is not the Herod of Matthew 2 who tried to kill the baby Jesus. All right, it's different Herod, but it is his son. So he is some type of court official in the employ of Herod the king. And he has great authority. But he also has great despair. His son is sick. Now, sickness then is much different than sickness now. And we understand that just from a, a medically, technological, scientific progression. Right? I mean, 2,000 years ago, fevers were fatal. Right? If you still had a fever on day 3, 4, or 5, you probably weren't going to live. Right? We, we don't, a fever today, yes, a sign, an indicator of something is wrong, usually merits a trip to the doctor and it's like, here, have some amoxicillin and you're okay. Very different. At the same time, we understand the despair of this official. It evokes the same emotions now as it did 2,000 years ago. When your child is sick, you want your child to be well. And here is a child who is sick, who has a fever. We're told down in verse 54, uh, 52, he has a fever. He's had a fever for days. It's not getting better. And this man who is a little king, think about it. Think of all the access he would have had. He would have been able to, to, to he had access to, right? He could get the best doctor of the day. Right? He, he could, they're up in Galilee. He could put somebody on a horse, say, hey, I need you to go to the big city of Jerusalem, find the best doctor there, bring that doctor back up here so he can cure my son. Right? I mean, we even see that today. Right? We, we know that. I see it in Thomasville. If somebody is, is seriously injured in Thomasville, where do they go? They don't stay in Thomasville, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to our hospitals. They get transferred up to Baptist. Why? Because they, they can fix just about anything, can't they, Debbie? Right? So this man would have done that. He, he would have spared no, it's nothing, no expense, nothing to make his son well. But he's desperate. And he's running out of hope. So he hears, right? He, he, he heard that Jesus, right? 47, when this man heard that Jesus, Jesus who? Jesus the Judah, who is from Galilee, who had been performing the miracles, right? He's heard as well. When he has heard that this man who has performed some miracles is in Cana, he goes. He goes. And, and don't, don't, don't overlook that. This is a man with great authority, with great power, and is willing to humble himself to go seek out a carpenter 
from Nazareth? So, so he, he, he goes, not because Jesus is the Savior of the world again, because Jesus has performed signs. Maybe this sign worker can cure my son. Jesus is this little king's last chance. If Jesus cannot make him well, then his son will die. And so he goes to Jesus and he gets there as quickly as he can. Capernaum to Cana, it's about 18 to 22 miles away. And when he gets there, it says, so Jesus said, no, excuse me. He gets there and he says, come down and heal his son. Now, the urgency of the request is, is, is muted in that translation. Because it, it makes it sound like he comes up to Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, my son is sick. I would appreciate it if you would come down with me to Capernaum and heal my son. I mean, that, that's kind of how the text reads. A better translation is continually begging. So he comes before Jesus. Jesus takes a step. Jesus, please. Jesus keeps walking. Jesus, my son is sick. He keeps walking. Jesus, come down with me. Jesus keeps walking. Jesus, I need you to come down now. He's going to die. Jesus, stop. Please, stop walking. My son is sick. The man is begging. Now, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, he ceases in that moment to be a nobleman, doesn't he? What is he? He's a dad. Right? He's a dad, or, or, or we can broaden it to, uh, to and make it a mom too, because a mom would do the same thing. But if we could freeze that moment in time and ask him, what about your court responsibilities? What about the political realities that, that you have to, to tend to? Hey, what about your pride? If we could freeze that moment in time, y'all know what he would say. He'd say, I don't care about the court, I don't care what happens. My pride? Are you kidding me? My son is about to die. I will give everything I own for my son to be well. That's all he wants. And we, we read this story. We're, we're on the dad's side, aren't we? Yeah, G Jesus healing. We're ready for Jesus to heal. And we're ready for Jesus to say, all right, you go grab your horse. I'm going to grab a horse as well. We're, we're, we're off. Let's, let's go. But then we get Jesus' response. Right? Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, first of all, that's not what the dad wanted to hear. That's not what we wanted to hear, and that's not what we expected. And in fact, we're looking at Jesus and going, well, why are you being so rude to this man? <laughs> right? It, it, it sounds very harsh. It's not harsh as much as it is hard. And what will help us to understand this is if the entire world, or not the world, but if the entire English 
speaking America would just go ahead and substitute y'all for the you plural. Because when Jesus answers the man, He's not just answering him. Right? Why? He's coming to Galilee, or to Galilee, and they're welcoming him. There's crowds. He's speaking to everyone around. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Again, John drives us back to the irony. This is the attitude of the Galileans. They won't believe. Right? We've talked about this. John uses the word sign because he point, it's to point people to God. But here, John does something unique. He, he, he minimizes the importance of the word sign by connecting it to wonders. Unless you see signs and wonders, unless you see a miracle, unless you see a magic trick, unless you just see something that makes you go, ooh, wow, Jesus, do it again. You're never, ever going to believe. Jesus, come heal my son. Are you like everyone else around here? Are you just looking to see another trick? Are you just wanting me to do one more thing? Because the one more thing now impacts you. And then you'll come back and want one more thing. And you'll want another thing because I can do all these signs. The man looks at Jesus and says, Sir, right? I mean, again, think about the position. This nobleman has the authority to look at Jesus and say, Go get your donkey, get your butt on it, and get down to Capernaum now. He has that authority. But he does not act on his authority. He doesn't pull out his royal court identification card. Hey, do you, he doesn't pull the, do you know who I am, right? No, if you got to ask, I obviously don't. He doesn't even defend himself. Just once again, he begs and he adds another detail to it, right? This time, it goes from son to child. It's, 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 it's little, my, my little boy. Sir, my little boy is going to die. So in case for some reason we thought earlier that it was some like 20-year-old son that he's just attached to. No, no, no. This is his little boy. Look. Come down before my child dies. I don't, I don't, I don't care what they want. I don't care that they're looking for signs. Let, let them see all the signs and wonder. I want my son to live. That's all I want. So Jesus looks at him and says, all right, let's go. That's what we would think would happen. But Jesus looks at him and says, go. Go. And it is written as such, it is an authoritative command. He said, Go. And again, I don't like this translation. It says, your son will live. It really says, go, your son lives. Do you see the subtle difference between will live and live? Go, your son lives. The illness will not take his life. And in between the go, your son will live, 
there is a crisis of belief. Right? There, there, there is a crisis of belief. What will the man do? Right? Because what, what do you think that Jesus kept saying, come down with me to Capernaum? Or excuse me, the man kept asking Jesus that. You, you know the answer, you just don't know that you know it. Right? When, when, when you think about miracle workers, have you noticed that there always has to be a proximity? Notice, play back in your mind all of the videos that you've ever seen of the miracle workers healing. There's always an involvement of hands or some type of touch. Right? Soapbox, I'm just going to say it. It's why they don't heal remotely from 100 miles away every sick kid in the hospital off the soapbox. But the same thing. For a miracle to happen, there had to be a proximity so that the miracle worker, so that the physician, so that the doctor... Again, doctors don't operate on you. Well, they do remotely now, don't they, Debbie? They used to actually have to get their hands in there. But there's a proximity. He believes that Jesus needs to be near the kid. Jesus says, go. I don't need to be near him. I don't need to come touch him. Go. Your son lives. Here is the crisis of belief. Because Jesus is putting that before him. Because he's saying to the man, do you mentally believe what I am saying? And two, if you do, demonstrate that belief by turning around and walking away. Which is harder? I have no doubt. The mental ascent of it is the absolute easiest. The harder part is the turning around and walking away. But we're told that he believes. And what does he do? The man believed and went on his way. I was asked in Sunday school today by one of my deacons. So you'll know who to who I can throw under the bus. Gary, you ever have any doubts? <laughs> no. I'm good. You know, one of the dangerous things that you can do in reading Scripture is to actually put yourself in Scripture. You've got to be really careful with that. It leads to some bad theology and some bad practical application. At the same time, put yourself in the position of this nobleman. Could you turn around and walk away? Honest answer? I have no idea. That, that, that's my honest answer. You, you, I know y'all say, yeah, Gary, I'm, I'm good. But he turns around. He, he, he starts walking back home. And we're thinking, all right, he's going to go home and see his son. But then we're told in verse 51 through 52 that on his way home, he meets his servants who have come to look for him, right? Because they were there. His son is better now. And they're like, we got to go find him. Let's, let's go get him. We'll meet him on the way. There's only one way. We'll meet him on the way up. So they're going to get him. And, and, and he goes, hey, when did he start to get better? And they go, yesterday. Now we're reading this story and we're going, yesterday? 
Wait, wait a minute. So Jesus, come heal my son. Go, your son lives. Okay, I'm leaving. Oh, by the way, um, I'll just attend to some business while I'm here. Uh, they got really good horse feed here in Cana, so I'm going to feed my horse a good meal before I take him home. Uh, there, there's a great fishing spot over here. I'm going to grab a couple fish. Huh? <laughs> Who waits? Who waits? How many of you, if you got that news today, run every stoplight to get back to your son? Why is this guy not on the horse running or, or riding that horse for all it's worth to go down and see his son? Because he believed. He, he, he believed. From the moment Jesus said, your son lives, the, the man believed. There was no great reason to rush home as if maybe, right? Because if he rushes home and... Think about what that would be. Part of it is if he rushes home, it's almost like he's rushing back to see if what Jesus said happened, really happened. Just in case it's not true, I've got a few more moments. This man so thoroughly believed he didn't need to go back quickly. Now, I'm sure his wife didn't appreciate that. But he believed. He believed. What did he believe? Not that Jesus was just a miracle worker. He believed what the Samaritans testified to, right? A prophet has no honor in his town. The Galileans, his people are wanting to see a sign. The non-Jewish Samaritans, the not my people say he is the savior of the world. And here this nobleman testifies and agrees, not with the Galileans, not with the Jewish people who should have known, but to the Samaritans who understood and believed that Jesus was the Savior. So that when he goes home, it says he believed and all his household believed with him. This was the second sign, the second sign pointing to who Jesus was. And they saw the sign for what it was. An indication that Jesus was the Messiah. So wrapping up with this then, what is our response? Because that's the question, right? What is, what is the point of this passage? Are we supposed to put ourselves in, in the passage like the nobleman and, 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 and try to understand and, and, and work through the emotions that he's going through? Well, what, what do we do this? Well, it's found in the question, when you come to Jesus, what are you seeking? What, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a miracle worker? Is, is Jesus your genie in the bottle? Jesus, if you do this, then I promise I'll never do this. And then six months later, you rub the magic lamp again. Jesus, if you do this, then I'll never do this. And, and Jesus just kind of sits in that genie bottle on your mantle only until you need to pull it out and rub the lamp because you need something. Is that what you're looking for? Because if that's what you're looking for in Jesus, you are firmly in the camp of the Galileans who only want to see a sign, who only wants to see a miracle. 
Or when you come to Jesus, are you coming to see Him for who He actually is? Going back all the way to the beginning, John keeps telling us who Jesus is. He is the Word. He, he is e e eternally God. He is light. He is life. He embarks on His mission. We're told He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. And then there in Samaria, Samarita, Samaria sorry, the non-Jews come up with the only time it's recorded in the Gospel. He is the Savior of the world. The sign is pointing us to that truth. Not that Jesus is a great miracle worker. And so when we come seeking Jesus, we come seeking Him for who John is revealing Him to be for us. And so that as we see the signs, and so as we understand and think through the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we may believe and have life in His name. Just like the nobleman who went looking for a cure and found the Savior. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.